Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the fighter versus the rider. I'm Damon Martin. He is Matt Brown and uh, Matt. We are back for the attack on another week after some technical difficulties delayed us getting started here. Uh, computers will be the death of us all one day. Uh, yeah, it's not really my forte. It's not my, <laughs> not what I stick to. You if mean, I, you if mean I could a, just you, punch my computer and that would fix it, then I'd be good. You mean as a professional fighter, you're not like moonlighting as a member of the geek squad or something. Is that like not your side job? Not yet, you know. My kids are getting pretty good at it, though. Usually, I have them fix it. It's funny you think like because I'm 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 older than my girlfriend. You think my girlfriend like she's she? You would think like she grew up with more technology than you and I did uh, growing up. You know what I mean? And and yet I'm like the tech person in our house. Like she doesn't she can't do anything tech wise. I'm like the tech person. Well, you're a nerd. I am a nerd. I'm self professed and self admitted nerd. I have no problem with that. But it's just funny, like yeah, how tech. Fun. As a nerd, I would be disappointed if you were not very techy. Yeah, I am very techy. I uh, I am I have, I mean I have a MacBook like I have an inside X ray of a MacBook as a tattoo. So I mean you know kind of goes without saying. Really? Better. Yeah, that's the tattoo I have nice. on my. That's the that's the inside of my arm. That's all. Uh, that's all the inside of a MacBook Pro. Oh uh, shit! Okay, okay. Yeah. So I was doing a, yeah I was doing a biomechanical arm and I was like, what would be cool? I was like, ooh, the inside of a MacBook. That's kind of cool. Fair enough. All right. Yeah, different. I dig it. I different. Dig it, man. Um, different. Yeah, because you have nerdcore.com, right? Nerdcore yeah, movement. Do Nerd, yeah. you have a podcast yeah. for that too? Uh no, I do my horror movie podcast, Rewind of the Living Dead. That's my that's my horror movie podcast. I do that week to week, uh, which goes up on Nerdcore Movement. But yeah, uh that's my other my other podcast is my horror movie podcast. So you need horror movie recommendations. I got those all day for you. Yeah, I think you're the only nerd I really talk to and hang out with, but you're a good nerd, so it works. <laughs> I, I, yeah, the, the nerd community is sad right now. They're like, oh, Matt Brown doesn't like us. I don't dislike it. The nerds are necessary. I love nerds. I just don't really communicate with them very well. You're, they, you're we a nerd. Really, you're, you're a nerd in your own right, though. You're like a metal nerd, and you're like a martial arts nerd. Yeah, it's just a different kind of nerd. A little bit, yeah. You can, you can maybe say that. I, I just always said the people I get along with are the ones that I punch and sweat and bleed with. If we ain't punched each other, then we can only be so close, man. There's a different <laughs> level of closeness that you have once you try to choke someone out or once you try to punch somebody, you know, once someone breaks your leg halfway or you can't walk for a week after sparring with them. Those are my boys, man. Yeah, it's a different, different level of commitment right there. Well, we punch each other verbally. <laughs> I accept I've, that. 
I've been I've been punched plenty of times, but just not just not typically in the gym by Matt Brown. I have uh, I have too much. Uh, not yet. I, I, not not, not yet. yet anyway. you haven't been coming to the gym. I know. I know. Don't get me started. Uh, we uh, but just so I mentioned I always forget to mention this at the top of the show when we get started. Actually, later later in the show after we get done talking, I am going to play an interview with uh, one and a half of the headliner of the UFC event this weekend, a guy you're very familiar with, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. So I'll have an interview with uh, Wonderboy a little later. He's taking on Kevin Holland main event at the uh, UFC fights this weekend. It's a fun fight. I know you go back a ways with Wonderboy. You handed him his first loss in the UFC. Uh, and uh, Wonderboy's one of, like Wonderboy's one of those dudes like I know like it said a lot like he's a nice guy. Like he legitimately is like a nice guy. Like he's like legitimately a nice yeah. dude. I don't know how much you've interacted with him like over the years, but he's like legitimately just a nice dude. Yeah, I agree. He's a very nice guy. His dad, on the other hand, I don't care too much for him. He's not quite as nice of a guy, in my opinion. Oh, not a fan of uh, of Wonder Dad. No, you know what it was. So we went. We both had to go to the hospital after our fight, and so we there was only one ambulance, and they're like, "Well, you can wait, or you can ride with Stephen," because he had to go like immediately. I was kind of like, "Well, I had like a headache or something." I was like, "Yeah, it'd probably be good if I went." Um, so like, you can ride with him if you want, or you can wait on the other one. I was like, oh, I'll just jump in with him. So I ride over to the hospital with Steven and his dad, like while we're in the fucking ambulance after just beating the shit out of his son starts talking to me about having a rematch. <laughs> and I was just like, bro, like, can we just like not talk about this right now? And he kind of <laughs> like start, start harping on it a little bit. And I was just like, bro, we can rematch right now if you want, but <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> You know, like I didn't really, you know, it's just disrespectful to me. So I didn't care too much for that. Um, but no, Steven's a great guy, man. And his dad probably means well, you know, his first loss, didn't know how to handle it well. So he's probably a cool guy. But actually him and my family go back pretty far. So my cousin has taught at a karate school right down the street in Greenville from Ray Thompson's for like 20 years. So there's been a little bit of family rivalry there for a long time. I don't know if we ever talked about that before, um, before I fought him. Cause I think I did some interviews with you before that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember you ever telling me about that before. I don't, th- to be honest, I wasn't, I'm not like really close with that cousin. So I didn't, didn't even really know, or I didn't care either at the time, but I didn't really know until, um, I think maybe even after the fight, I don't know. So it's like a rival. So it's like a rival karate school in South Carolina. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. And interesting. My cousin didn't own it, but he was like a, one of the top instructors there for a long time. So they they competed. You know, he'd known Steven since he was a little kid, right? And they the teams have competed against each other uh, for however many twenty years or whatever. I don't think that school's there anymore, though. I think they ended up um, shutting it down. I think COVID ruined it or something. Yeah, so it was like Cobra Kai and Karate Kid, and like they were just battling it out in South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now here's here's the question I want to know. So like this is going on in the back of the ambulance. At like at any point does Steven chime in? Like are we getting close to like a full on like ambulance fight? Because no, listen, me and Steven were being cool the whole time, man. <laughs> me and him was, you know, I was chilled. Like I was, we just had we had a fucking war, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was a tough fight. Like I got beat up, he got beat up. Like we we're both just like whatever. It's his dad that was just clearly didn't handle it well just didn't really um and just wasn't respectful about it so i lost a lot of respect for his dad after that and we know, have, maybe uh, he's cool you know i don't know but at that yeah, moment we have, uh, you know i'll never forget that 
You remember back in the day, Joe Riggs and Nate D- Nick Diaz got into a hospital fight. You remember that story back in the day when <laughs> yeah. they got like they, so like it would have upped the ante a little bit if there would have been an ambulance fight. I'm not gonna lie, Matt. I'm a little disappointed I didn't hear about the ambulance fight. Like that would have been a talking about fighting in a phone booth. About fighting in an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been an easy win for me. I would just punch the IV. <laughs> I just squeeze the fucking bag. Yeah, dude, it's weird. It's weird because we we do live in a sport where a lot of like fathers are their coaches to their sons or daughters. I don't want to disrespect that. Like I know um uh Amanda Hebus, like I think her dad is her coach and and we see a lot. It's a weird one because you got two minds, right? Like you coach your kids, like I know you coach your kids, but it's a weird mindset, right? Because you you care for them as a coach. But you're also like you're a parent. Like you can't shut that off. Like you can't just stop yeah. caring about them as a parent and to watch your kid go out and get beat up for 15 minutes and take elbows and punches. Like in that, as you said, was his first loss. Like it's a weird dynamic, right? Like it's got to be a weird dynamic because like I, I don't know. Like you throw it in the towel. Like how would you deal with that? Like it's your kid. Like he's yeah, you're his coach. But like it's a weird dynamic. It doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen in the sport. Yeah, and I wonder if you'd be more willing to throw in the towel earlier too because you're a kid you're like i want to take care of this little guy you know like my kids are 12 years old now my boys and i mean i take them to jujitsu tournaments and stuff when i had them i was like dude yeah i want them to be fighters and this and that now like i'm kind of nervous about that man i don't know if i want to see it like to me they're still you know the little five-year-old baby kids you know what i mean and i don't know if i'll ever be able to get over that and um you know, maybe when they start trying to fight me, maybe it'll, maybe <laughs> that'll change. Right? Should be coming pretty soon. Now they're about to hit puberty, so um, man, I don't know how they do it. You know, I really don't like. I get so nervous, even when they just do the jujitsu competitions. Like, like I, I'm wore out by the end of the day, and and it's only you know eleven o'clock or noon by the time the kids are done, and I'm just absolutely exhausted because I'm I'm just so nervous the whole time. I just want them to succeed so bad. So watching them fight is a very, very scary prospect. Yeah. Like, I'll be honest. Like I've been, you know, like I've been around the sport enough to where, listen, like, listen, as a journalist, like we've got to be impartial to what happens, you know, in the fights and I absolutely am, but you can't not cover the sport and be around people and not become closer with people. Um, I remember yeah. back in the day, you know, when I first got started doing this, you know, how I got involved with the sport originally was through my mentor, Ryan Bennett, and it was through his radio show he did with Frank Trigg. So I used to like, I talked I to Trigg. Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I talked to Trigg all the time. Like I, I chatted with him fairly recently. And of course, Ryan passed away, but me and Trigg, you know, had become friends. Well, like, website, I don't know better. that? MMA Weekly. MMA Weekly. Yeah. That oh, was that was the, where you started. Was yeah. It? That was where I started. Yeah. And, yeah, Trig was like, yeah, Trig was Trig was a friend. Like it was, I, it, it's impossible to shut off that mechanism to where I just didn't consider him a friend because he was like a friend. Like we worked for the same place, we came up under the same guy. Like we were friends. So whenever he would fight, like it was tough. Like of course I still covered him impartially, but it does like it just changes. And then same thing. And my point is like same thing with you. Like I went to your fight with Eric Silva in Cincinnati and I was there covering at cage side. I was right there at like cage side and I had to cover and I did, I covered it impartially. I wasn't like, you know, biased towards anything, but it's a different feeling when a friend is fighting. Like it's just impossible yeah. not to feel it. So I can only imagine 
like the the nerves or just like the feeling, the anticipation, whatever you want to call it, when a friend is fighting versus like your kid. Like that's got to take it to a whole other level. Like I can't I can't deny like when people I like, people I know fight, it's a little it's it's more nerve wracking, absolutely. And I like it's weird because I know you know what you're doing. You're not doing it's not like you're being forced in there like gladiator style and like you're doing it of your own choice. So, you know, you know the dangers going into it, but there's still a nervousness that goes along with that. But I can't even imagine like raising that intensity to a kid, like where your kid yeah, is I, in there. Same here, man. I mean, when I go in and I corner my friends, I get nervous out of my mind. I can't even take it. And a lot of times the guys, um, if you've ever seen me in the corner and my guy wins, like I don't like jump up with excitement or anything. And it's not because I'm not excited for him. It's because I'm more just relieved. I'm just like, we did it. Yes. You know, that's why I don't like get too crazy excited. Um, I, I'm just, cause I'm so fucking nervous, man. It's insane. Yeah. I'd imagine. I know. I mean, I know the answer to this, but like, I imagine you're far more nervous when you're cornering a fighter than you ever are when you step in the cage. Like it's a whole other dynamic. You know what? To me, it's, it's not more or less nervous. It's a different type of nervous, right? Like, I mean, we absolutely get nervous uh, when we're uh, getting ready for a fight. Anybody that doesn't is just an idiot or probably isn't performing at their best or, you know, there's something wrong there. There's you should be getting nervous, but um, when you get nervous for someone else, it's just a different type of nervous, right? Cause you're not actually dealing with the consequences so it's a different type of nervous. Um, but if you care deeply about someone, I can't even explain what the difference is because I'm not really sure. But um, it's a definitely a different type of nervousness. And and you don't get to relieve the nerves by motion, by moving around and, you know, breaking a sweat and, you know, a little bit backstage warming up and stuff. But um, all that nervousness is kind of relieved when you're fighting by walking out there and getting introduced and, you know, it's real, it's happening. There's no way, there's no turning back. There's no stopping it now. And you start feeling more empowered as you move out there. Whereas when, you know, you're fighting or you're cornering, that never like kind of settles down a little bit. Like you're still nervous the whole time. And all you can do is yell. Yeah. Would you freak out if one of your boys decided they wanted to be a fighter? Oh, my one boy wants to be a fighter hundred percent. That's all he cares <laughs> about. I can't, I try to get him into other things and he just won't get into it. So um, it doesn't freak me out. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily the best occupation. I don't think it's um, you, know, when you look at the ROI of being a professional fighter with the, the amount of work that we put in the sacrifice and the dedication, it's not really worth it. it like if I look at my, my own career, for instance, if I think of the amount of time, sacrifice, dedication, energy that I've put into this, had I put that into basically any other career out there, I'd be a multimillionaire, right? I could be, you know, I'd probably be actually retired by now or, or be living very free. Whereas now, um, you know, I basically just lived fight to fight. Right. And, you know, I'm doing okay. Like I'm not poor or anything, but um, you know, I'm not a multimillionaire. So to me, the ROI really isn't worth it. Um, and the risk that you're taking, if you look at it solely from a financial perspective, now the lessons I've learned, the network I've built, the community that I've been around, the people that I've been around, uh, the places I've seen, there's a lot of silver lining to take away or a lot of great things to take away from it. So I can't necessarily hate on, you know, I'm not hating on fighting by any means, but, um, just like every fighter that comes to my gym, I always promote to them first, be a martial artist first. That will carry you, uh, uh, you'll carry that with you through your entire life. 
And that's going to be a great thing. So whatever you do in your life, whether you become a world-class professional or not, that's going to be something positive for your life. Um, so be a martial artist first. And it's the same thing I promote to my kids. Be a martial artist, you know, work towards a black belt in jujitsu, work towards a black belt in judo, go out there and try to be a state or national champion in wrestling, go out and, um, you know, learn Muay Thai and kickboxing and learn how to teach people and work with others and help them. And, and you're going to live a fulfilling life that way. Now, if you go out and you just want to be a fighter, you have to put everything that you got into that and you're not going to get a return on your investment more than likely. Yeah. I mean, we got to remember, like we can, you know, I'm not even going to turn this into like a fighter pay discussion because that's a whole other talk. But the reality is there's like a handful of people who actually do this successfully for a living. Like, let's be honest. Like it's not a big yeah. list. Like when you think about all the fighters out there, all the fights, you know, regional scene, everything out there, like there's a handful, honestly, a handful of people who do this as a full-time profession. Like that's just the reality of it. And you got to know that going in. Like it's, it's like, it's like, again, I mean, it's not, and it's really no, and listen again, I'm not talking about fighter pay. I'm just talking about like, it's a real, like when you go play college football, like when you go play college football, like in your head, you got to be thinking, I'm going to go to the NFL. Like I'm going to be great. I'm going to do amazing things. And I'm going to get to the NFL. But do you realize how hard it is to get to the NFL and actually like get right. there and stay there? It's no different with the UFC or, or Bellator or PFL or whatever. Like, it's a very, very small list of people who actually get to that level, who puts career, who put right. together a career like even a, like a, a Matt Brown, like that. What you've done fighting in the UFC as many times as you have, that's so rare that you know how many people go in the UFC and fight three times and they never fight in the UFC again. Like, do you, exactly. you realize how hard it is to make this? Like, I don't think people understand like how hard it is to make this a career, like legitimately make enough money to be a fighter and call it your career. Like, it's really freaking hard. Yeah, and that's why, you you know, again, most of them, they're not going to succeed in uh, whatever they do. They prefer just to have, like, an easier job or a factory job, drive a semi-truck, some shit like that, because uh, the reason that they get two or three fights in the UFC or even four or five and then they get cut out is because they didn't put in that sacrifice and didn't put in that dedication. And then the guys, you know, the cream rise to the top, and there's certainly guys that just have the genetics that get them to the top, you know, like I would argue probably like a John Jones, right? He's out doing Coke binges two weeks before he's fighting world champions. Right. So he's probably not putting in the amount of work that someone like me did, um, but still gets to the top. And those are extreme. Those are few and far between amongst the few and far between. So, you know, we, you can't, you certainly can't count on that, but um, you know, these guys, most of them, the vast, vast majority um, they, they don't put in the sacrifice and dedication and it's the same, you know, I see it in business. I see it in how even like guys doing, a, you know, a lot of podcasting or you know, YouTube or, you know, anything we, you, like you see the cream rise to the top. There's guys that get there because of their genetic abilities, because their gifts their talents. And then there's the, the larger majority of them that get as far as their sacrifice and dedication will take them. And there's, and again, it's few and far between, um, on either of those fronts you better my my best advice to anybody is you better have realistic expectations because i remember like you're like over the years a lot of people reach out to me and they'll say what advice would you give me to become a mixed martial arts journalist and the first thing I, and like immediately a lot of them are like you know well like when do you start making money like how you know that kind of thing and i'm like first off lower your expectations because i work for free 
for like five years covering this sport. <laughs> yeah. Like I did it because I loved the sport. Like I didn't do it as a job. I did it because I loved mixed martial arts and I loved the fight game. So like I didn't I didn't make my first dollar covering the sports like five years in. Okay. So like I and like you have to, and I, that's journalism, but I mean, like, you have to have realistic expectations. Like, you can't come in and say, oh, I'm going to go to the UFC and I'm going to be a champion. That's, that's like, you're talking about the, the 1% of the 1%. Like, that's not the reality. You know what I mean? And, and like, you got to, because, like, that was one of, the, one of the funniest things that people hit me up and they're like, like, what kind of money can I expect to make as a journalist? I, I literally answered them back and, like, zero. Because you're not going to make any, like, you have to do this as a passion project. You have to do this sure. as, as a love. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on that, though. Only in the sense of, if you want to come in and say, look, I'm going to be a world-class champion UFC I'm not, I'm never going to tell anyone to lower oh, their no, no. expectations. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying them, that. No, no, I'm not telling them they can't. I'm just saying like be I'm just saying like not saying you can't do that. I'm saying like be like understand that you're not just going to get there because you say you're going to get there. You have to work at it. And that's like the same thing I tell the journalists sure. like don't come in day 1 thinking you're going to be writing for, you know, MMA fighting or ESPN on day 1. You got to work your way there. Like have really have that as a goal absolutely. I agree with you there. I'm saying like yeah, but be realistic. It, like probably, you're not just going to get there. You're not going to just get there cuz you want to be there exactly and i think it's probably very similar to like fighting where like i would tell some like i can tell if someone has a chance of being a champion because they're training because they love it and i you would probably say the same as a journalist right you'd be like you know well how many articles have you already done for nothing because you love it that much that you're going to be doing this anyway you know, like for me, like if I had never made a dime doing this, like I'd still be out fighting, right? Like I would still be training every day. I would put in just as much work just because I love it that much. Um, and that happens to turn into something monetary because of that, not because my goal was to make money. If their goal starts with, I want to make money and I see this as a path to making money, like you said, yeah, then lower your expectations, then, <laughs> you know, get a di like i would say get a different fucking job right go to college <laughs> motherfucker like like i mean if you think about it right like i've been in the ufc for 14 years right the amount of sacrifice and dedication had i spent that amount of energy into going to college like i'd have like two phds by now and it's like you know i could be a multimillionaire with two phds right <laughs> like i could you could do anything in the world you want right but I don't love it like that. You know, the one, one thing I tell all the fighters when it comes to is that look, champions train like champions before they're champions. Not, they don't start training like champions because all of a sudden they got a big payday and now they have the ability to do it. Like they're training like champions. You can see that championship mentality when they're working a job and don't have time to train. They're still putting in, two a days or three a days and they're still getting to every class. They're still putting in the overtime and then going to their uh, regular job to pay their rent and electric bills and shit. Yeah, dude. It's not, like I said, it's not, I mean, it's a, it's a grind. I don't know a better way to say it. If you're a fighter, like you got to be realistic about it. Like, you know, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have dreams and aspirations, but you got to understand nothing's going to get handed to you. I guess that's the best advice I give anybody. Nothing's ever going to get handed to you. You got to work your ass off for it. And you got to be ready to work your ass off for it. And realize like, you know, you're not going to get there 
just because you want to get there. You're gonna have to get you're gonna have to get there because the other guy you beat the other guy to get there. You you're willing to climb harder, yeah. faster. And, and you know. have to accept the fact that you may not you may put in all that work and not get there. Like you yeah. may be the better fighter and not get there, but you have to love it that much that that you're willing to take that risk. That's yeah. where I see a, a lot of issues. Guys aren't willing. They don't like that part of it. They don't like it. Like these guys love it and have so much fun or, and train so hard. And then they lose and they're like, and they just give up. And it's like, oh, well, you didn't really love it then, did you? Yeah. You know, you, like you're, you're not, you're not really in this because you love fighting. Like you were in it because you loved winning and you love beating people up or you love being the star of the show or whatever kind of shit. Yeah. Speaking of winning, uh, getting into that kind of, it's actually a great segue into conversation about what happened this past weekend at PFL. Kayla Harrison undefeated two-time gold medalist looked like she was going to be a force of nature. Uh, maybe the next big star in women's MMA suffered a, a, a pretty, I mean, when I say definitive, I mean, there was no controversy to it. Uh, lost the decision to Larissa Pacheco first time in her career. And I'm curious about this because like afterwards, you know, Kayla handled herself very well. She said, you know, it sucks. I, I don't like losing, you know, I'll come back stronger from this. Cause I'll be honest. Like she had, she had been one of those people who had been such a dominant force that like, I was like, if she lost once, like she might walk away, not because she didn't love it, just because like her goals, like in a way had kind of been shattered, but she didn't, she took it. She, she took it on the chin you know, I'll be back. I'll be back stronger. I'll be back better. You know, sometimes you're the hammer. This time I was the nail. All those kind of, she said all the right things, but I'm not even going to get into like the the fight or the game plan or any of that kind of stuff. But like the mystique around her got, it got shattered a little bit. Now it wasn't full on like Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm, where she got head kicked into oblivion. And like, you know, every bit of her aura got shattered in that moment because like, you know, she got kind of exposed in that moment. Kayla lost a 48, 47 decision. She won rounds. It wasn't that kind of fight. Um, but I'm curious, like, because Kayla's in a different situation than, like, say, like, a Conor McGregor. Because when Conor McGregor lost to Nate, to Nate Diaz, like, Conor McGregor is still a star. And Conor McGregor has 10 other fights he could pick tomorrow and have a big fight, mm -hmm. whether it's Nate Diaz. The, the problem that Kayla has now, in my opinion, is Kayla fights in a weight class that doesn't exist. There's not a 155-pound women's division, Matt. There's just not. It's just, it's not, it's not real, okay? It's there because she fought 155 pounds, not because there's like this plethora of women vying to fight 155 pounds. 145-pound division doesn't exist, if we're being honest. I mean, I know Chris Cyborg fights at it, and I know they have a division in Bellator, but come on now. It's not really a division when you're you're struggling to get when fighters are two and three and three and four and four and six and they're getting top ten rankings. That's just not reality, okay? That division doesn't really exist. So when you lose like that, you're like you lose the aura about it. Like you have to wonder, like, because to me, like Kayla lost, like Kayla was going to become a free agent in two more fights. Kayla is now in my way, in my opinion, kind of beholden to PFL because she's the face of PFL. And I think PFL will continue to pay her very, very well. But I wonder now, like, will the UFC still want to take a risk on her? Will Bellator want to sign her? You know what I mean? Like there, you take so much risk with wins and losses, especially in her situation though. Kind of, again, like Rhonda, Rhonda was in a little different situation because Rhonda was a superstar. She was in a deeper division, all those kind of things. But man, it's kind of crazy how much one loss can change a narrative so dramatically. Yeah, it's fascinating, man. Uh, yeah, you said it perfectly. And I thought she had a great point about the open scoring. You know, I, I have to bring that up, man, because I bring that up all the time. 
I'd love to see the open scoring. And I think she had a great point about it. Um, I didn't read the whole interview, but it sounded like she thought that maybe she was ahead and maybe she didn't need to do as much as, um, you know, the judges thought that she needed to do. And, you know, I would definitely put out another plug for that because that needs to be said and needs to be pushed. And I, and I mean, if I can start a fucking movement for that, I would love to, cause I mean, this needs to be out there. I mean, we need to know what the score is. And um, so I thank Kayla for uh, putting that out there and talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a reality. Like I said, I mean, you know, you've been the victim of a bad decision before and a fight that you confidently feel you're winning and then going into a final round not to say you ever coast but like you know you feel like you won and then to know like it doesn't fix judging because judging is a whole other conversation about like how fights are being scored but at least if you know you're down you know two rounds to none or whatever at least you know going into that like well i better go for broke because i definitely you know whether the judge has got it right or wrong i need to go out there and go for broke because otherwise i'm walking out here with a loss yeah, and I think just holding judges accountable too, like in the moment. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like, like the, the fans can see, like, dude, they scored that fucking round wrong, and, and the fighters need to know. Like, we should know that the round was scored improperly. We have to. Okay, I thought I won that round. The judge said I didn't. So I can't do anything about it. But now I got to go out there and try to win the next one. Which we all, I think, ninety percent of fighters we're always trying to win rounds right like even the last round we rarely is there a lot of coasting unless you're already so dominant that you're like like okay uh, you know why not coast this out i don't think open scoring is going to change that yeah i don't i don't i don't think so either yeah this is the big criticism of open scoring right is the third round people are going to coast uh, a lot um what people never seem to talk about is what about the second round like we're gonna have the craziest second rounds ever right like (sighs) if i'm down around and i know it okay i'm coming after you like i can't go come down another round right if you won the first round like you're like okay i have to win the second round and we're gonna have a lot of great third rounds too as we know we're in a tie now yeah like a lot of times like we just simply we just simply don't know. So we're just fighting the best we can. But there's a point when you know you're down, you're like, dude, I'm going for fucking broke now. You know, like like there's a lot of things that go through a fighter's mind when when we're fighting. There's a lot of things to think about in the moment. We shouldn't have to think about the scorecard. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because the idea that fighters are gonna suddenly start coasting um has it happened absolutely uh does it happen regularly i don't buy it and it can backfire because back in the i'll never forget and i know this is the example everyone always brings up i'll never forget brian caraway was in a fight i can't remember who he was fighting but misha tate was in his corner and she's like you're winning all you gotta do is coast to this third round you gotta win and he went out there and got beat in the third round and lost the fight because he wasn't winning. He wasn't winning the fight. And people and the judges scored it against him. He ended up losing. I guess it was a split decision, a unanimous decision, but he lost. And there was actually in the corner, Misha told him, like, just coast through this round. You got it. Like, you got it. And he did. And he lost. And when you say coast, like, just because you're coasting doesn't mean your opponent's going to coast. Doesn't mean they're going to just let you just right. walk through the round. Like, you got five minutes in there with a dude who's trying to kill you. Like, just because you don't want to coast doesn't mean he's not going to. 
it is not easy to coast in mixed martial arts competition. I can <laughs> tell you that it's not easy. Just like my last fight, my, my corner told me I was up two rounds. I didn't coast the third, but mentally I thought that I was coasting. I, I think I posted about it on or, or tweeted about it after the fight. I was like, yeah, you know, that's some bullshit. I coasted that third round. I thought I was up. Um, then I watched the fight and I was like, Oh, I didn't really coast did I? <laughs> you know, but mentally, you know, I was thinking I don't have to take, the big risk that I took in the first two rounds, you know, I can be a little, you know, I, I just don't have it in me to coast, I think. Um, but mentally I was there, you know, but it does, it like, would, it would have mentally changed you. Had you known going into that third round with yes, Brian Barberina, if they said, Hey, two judges have you down right now you're down 2018 yes. or whatever the case may be, you know, or they have it tied, you know, they have it tied. Like it's 1919. You got to go out there and win this third round. Like that's a different, yes, a slightly different changed. mentality. That's, that's my exact point. And um, to add on to that, I think uh, Kansas has open scoring now, right? I think they do. Uh, yeah. Dicta has been using it. Colorado um, does too. I believe, it. I believe, I believe Colorado has open scoring as well. Yeah. LFA just done it a few times, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I know K1 has done it. Glory has done it. And I've never seen people coast. So I, anyway, I think our whole point of this is, can we end this fucking coasting argument? Okay. <laughs> like there's other issues I think that may come with open scoring, uh, other criticisms of it. The coasting is not the best argument in my opinion. Um, so anyway, I think Kayla Harrison had a great point with that. And, uh, you know, I totally agree with her and I, I agree with you, man. You know, she's just in a, a really tough spot now. I think PFL is the only, uh, high level organization with a 55 women's division, right? I think Invicta does, and I don't even know who else, but, um, it, it puts her in a really tough spot because, you know, she's probably trying, I'm guessing like her objective is to convince the UFC to make a 155 division, right? Well, either that or, 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 you know, cause she can fight a featherweight. She just can't fight there like, you know, four times a year. So like get her signed over and, and fight. But even that, like I said, they're the, the one forty five. I mean, let's be honest, the featherweight division of women's not, it's not like it's super deep. You know what I mean? Like I gotta admit a, a fight with Kayla Harrison and Amanda Nunes would be intriguing. It would, but like I said, is the UFC going to shell out a bunch of money now? You know what I mean? She just lost. Right. Like, and I, I listen. She can erase all that if she goes out and rematches Pacheco next year and beats her. She's already has two wins over her. But you and I both know. Like I said, it's what have you done for me lately? That's what this sport's all about. Absolutely. Now, if she goes out there in like March and just eviscerates Larissa Pacheco, she erases that from our memory. Then maybe it all goes away. Kind of like what Amanda did with Juliana Pena. You know, Juliana Pena beat her the first time. Now, like we barely remember that happened because Amanda beat her so savagely in the rematch. The kind of erase that when you're kind of like well maybe that was just a bit of a fluke or you know maybe that was just an off night whatever the case may be if she goes out there and eviscerates pacheco in march or april then maybe it all goes away but for this moment in this exact moment in time you know how much i mean are they gonna because chris cyborg already seemed like she wasn't interested in fighting kayla and that's fine i don't care chris's legacy set she's doing her own thing she wants to be boxing right now and i'm fine with that uh, she has no interest in fighting Kayla Harrison. That's fine. I, you know, you're, you've done all you, is you've she done interested in fighting MMA anymore. I don't know. I mean, she's doing boxing good for her. I don't, you know, like whatever you've cemented your sure. legacy. You've been doing it for, you know, two decades or whatever you, you're one of the greatest women's fighters of all time. Do what you want. Like you got nothing left to prove to me or anybody else for that matter. Um, 
but like Kayla, you know, Kayla, like the big fights would be Cyborg and, and Amanda. Okay, well, Cyborg doesn't seem interested. Okay, so you take her out of the equation. Amanda's a UFC fighter. Is Dana White going to shell out a bunch of money to make that fight in a division that still really doesn't exist? I mean, they've never added women's featherweights. Like, they have like two on the roster. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's just, a, it's a weird one because she's not in a in an advantageous position where you could look at and say, well, Kamar Usman lost. He got knocked out by Leon Edwards, but he's got 10 other guys he could fight to get right back there. And he's going to get a rematch, but I'm saying like he could fight, you know, he could fight Colby again. He can fight Gilbert again. He can fight Bilal Muhammad. He can fight, uh, you know, Jeff Neal. He can fight Wonder Boy. He can fight, you know, Kevin Holly. He can fight 10 different guys and get back to that title. Kayla doesn't have that now. Like Kayla has to fight Pacheco again, and then that's. I mean, there's just not a lot of options when you fight in a weight class that doesn't exist. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, and and realistically, people don't realize how hard it is to beat someone three times in a row either. Or oh, not yeah. in a row. I don't think it was in a row, but to beat someone three times, a high level athlete like that, you know, someone that's very good at what they do, uh, that's what like it always impressed me so much about people like Manny Pacquiao fighting Marquez five times. Like, dude, like you got to give mad props to that. Like, you know, you're not going to beat them all five times when you're fighting fucking Marquez. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, And we remember, and and there's a danger in that. Look what happened in the last, you know, in their last encounter. Like there's a danger in that. Like no one, that's, that's a memory. That's like exactly you're going to have, that's a memory seared in my head of Manny Pacquiao getting flatlined by Marquez in that last fight. Like, right, right. That wasn't the last fight. Was it? I don't think that I was, think, no, uh, I'm saying like, that was, a, that was their last fight. Like the last time they met, like that was like, it really didn't no, need to happen. I thought they fought after that. Did the they fight again? I, I, did they fight again? I don't know if they did. I can't I remember. Think I just that was remember. Their fourth fight. Was it? Okay. I just remember that one. I remember that one when he got absolutely, cause up to that point, you know, Pacquiao had been pretty, you know, dominant, you know, for the most part. And then, dude, that one, I'll never forget that. Him laying face down on the canvas. Yeah, um, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can't, it's hard at that level to beat someone that many times at that level. Yeah. I mean, if you're fighting someone just levels below you, you know, you can beat them as many times as you want. But when you're fighting guys at, at high levels, like that, beating them that many times. So, you know, props to Kayla, you know, I mean, you know, she beat her twice and, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, I just, I respect it a lot. You know, you you can only, again, you can only fight people at that level so many times. So yeah. um, Yeah. I hope the best for her, man. You know, she's, I think she's a great champion. I think she's a great person. I love her fight style. I think she's got mad skills and does great things. And uh, I'd love to see her, you know, keep fighting top people, man. I hope, I really do hope like, cause again, you know, and she's an Ohio person, of course, always got to root out for the Ohio people. Um, she uh she goes she, out there. I didn't know that. Yeah, from Middletown. She's from Middletown. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. Ohio, baby. Uh, everybody don't even know about everybody everything that comes from Ohio. Damn skippy. Everything uh, started in Ohio. That's right. No, and here's the thing. It, again, it all goes away. All she has to go out there and do is beat Pacheco when they fight again, and they're gonna fight again. And then it's it's the Amanda Nunes thing. It all kind of goes away. And then those options open up again. Now, I, again, I think the options are more limited because, again, she exists, She fights in a weight class that still doesn't really exist. But, 
I mean, you know, she goes out there and beats Pacheco dominantly and, and gets it back, then, you know, we could still see her fight Amanda Nunes. Maybe the Chris Cyborg fight comes back around. Uh, you know, maybe she fights like the Cats and Ghanas of the world or other fighters of that ilk. But it's a weird it's a it's a weird situation for her and I do feel for her because I think she is. Like I had her ranked one of the best pound for pound women's fighters in the world because I'm a Kayla Harrison yeah. believer. I absolutely believe she's that dominant. She just got and again, it's different than the Rousey thing. She didn't get head kicked, knocked out, and just like when Rousey lost to Holly Holm, we watched that fight and we're like, oh man, like this was not fair. Like Holly just shut her yeah. down and then literally shut her out. Like she's just it was it wasn't she lost 48 47. Like it was a close fight. Like she lost a close fight. Yeah, um, I won a lot of money on that Rousey home fight. I knew home <laughs> would, would get her. I remember you saying that on the old podcast. You said that you picked home and you said many times like why you thought home was gonna win. Um but yeah like I think Kayla can bounce well, back. I, it's yeah, just I, a, I finally got one right against you. Did you, you think Rousey? Uh I don't I don't know if I picked Rousey but I remember you picked home. I do remember that. Um, but we didn't bet. So yeah, you got one, right. You got one, right. Uh, (laughs) before we get out of here, I want to, I want to shift gears real quick because another big topic that came up over the weekend, um, was Conor McGregor firing back at Anthony Smith, uh, just to be full disclosure. Anthony Smith has been a frequent podcast co-host on this very podcast. So I want to be clear about that. If Anthony on many times breaking down fights and things like that. But he basically the whole argument was around, you know, we've now, I mean, I revealed this back in October. I don't know why people are acting like it's new news, but uh, Conor McGregor is out of the USADA testing pool. And when he gets back in, he'll have to go through six months of testing before he can fight again. Now that was confirmed in October. It got confirmed again recently. Like it was new, but it wasn't, I confirmed it back in October. Um, he dropped out of the USADA testing pool for whatever reason. And he will reenter before he can fight again. Um, Anthony Smith criticized him for that more or less saying that it's not fair, you know, that he's dropping out of the pool and jumping back in probably, you know, his, his idea or his estimation, his opinion was, you know, good chance that Connor's using illegal substances to rehab his broken leg. And it's just not fair that, you know, he's going to be able to do that and then jump back in the pool and, and do whatever. And Connor lashed out and, you know, basically said, you know, you're a fool. You're the audacity to question me, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to turn this into like, let's bash Connor. Let's bash Anthony Smith. None of that kind of stuff. I'll be honest. I kind of tend to side with Anthony Smith on this argument. Um, you're in the USADA pool, Matt, like you get tested. Um, typically speaking from my understanding, you know, you drop out of the USADA testing pool when you leave the UFC or you retire. So it is weird to me that Connor drops out while he has and i listen i don't have any doubt that like he probably needed everything on earth to get that leg back to full health his leg was literally broken i mean i get it like he's going through hell to get it back to to 220 pounds of jack muscle (laughs) yeah but it is weird like that he's gonna like and and it's not he's gonna he has to go through six months of clean testing to fight again so it's not like he's gonna get like it's not like he's getting a pass, you know what I mean? If he goes through six months of testing, it's six months of testing. But it is a weird one, well, right? I think like, that's the big question, right? Is he going to get the pass? Because he said that he has to do two tests to fight again. And I think that's where a lot of the criticism was coming from, right? Is not is that they're going to give him an exemption or he's at least vying for an exemption. Whether he's going to get one, I don't know. But I think that's sort of the bigger criticism, right? I mean, anybody can just drop out of the – I mean, the other criticism would be his ranking because anybody can just drop out of the pool and then come back six months later 
you know, after being six months in, but it's what, you know, Anthony Smith could do the same thing with all due respect to him. I love the guy, but you know, he could do the same thing. I did the same thing when I retired in 2017, I, I was gone for about a year and it took me six months of uh, testing to get back in um, to fight again. It can be done. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. You know, if, if you have a criticism against that rule then you have to criticize that rule, but um, anybody can do that. So, you know, fair game to him for that, but having the ranking, um, is questionable. And then having, um, I heard that he's attempting to get an exemption sort of like Brock Lesnar did when Brock came back for UFC 200. I don't know why the UFC would do that for Connor being that, him fighting in March or February versus him fighting in August or September doesn't really change the bottom line. Like he's going to be a draw no matter when he fights. Whereas Brock Lesnar fought for UFC 200, I believe it was um, when they kind of gave him an exemption for like two months or something, you know, to come back without uh, testing for six months, I think it was two months or some shit like and then that. He, and then he tested positive. Like he tested positive afterwards. <laughs> and I, I, that's why I don't it's like a big shocker. Right. Yeah. And like, listen, I know Connor I said to you Sada to tell us that. Yeah. And Connor, Connor yeah. said, listen, what Connor said is not true. Two tests and I'm back. He's going to have to go through six months of testing unless they give him the exemption. And, between you and I, well, I, I don't think they're gonna, the criticism. Comes, and I don't right? think they're going to get. I don't think they're going to give him the exemption. They got raked over the coals so badly for the whole Brock Lesnar thing, and he actually did test positive. That I don't think. I don't think anyone is going to get an exemption but they again. Get raked unless, over the coals, and then they sell more pay per views for UFC 200 than you know they probably did for the rest of the year. Oh yeah, no, I, I get it. And and listen, like if I'm I running a business, I'm cool to get raked <laughs> over the coals if you're going to buy it, right? Like you yeah. can talk all the shit you want, you're buying. Yeah, I mean, I don't think. I, listen, I don't have a. I, it's a weird one because, like, jumping at like it's one thing, like you said, like you were legitimately retiring, like you were walking away, and you jump, you drop out of the pool, and you come back in. Like his situation is different because he's never said I'm walking away. He's never said I'm done fighting. Right. He's just recovering from a broken leg. Yeah. And that's the, like, that's a weird thing, right? Like that's the problem. Like, I think that's the, like you said, that's the bigger issue, but um, he has to go through testing to come back. I mean, it's not like he can avoid the testing. I, he's not going to get two tests and come back. The, 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 the public, the public backlash of Connor getting a pass when everyone already believes that Connor gets special treatment uh, would, I mean, and, and, and be rightfully so fighters would be pissed and rightfully so they should be pissed. Absolutely. Uh, I think the, Henry is coming in, in during in his six month comeback period right now. Right. Yeah. He, he just paid, he literally just passed in October. That was six months for him. He came back in April. He had to go through six months of testing. He just got past that. Like literally like two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Yeah, so, th- so that's again, yeah, that's a very legitimate criticism. If he gets some sort of exemption for that I think it's a legitimate criticism that he's in the rankings because that kind of alludes to the fact that he never really was retiring, you know, so he pulled out of the USADA pool specifically to use things to help him uh, recover his injury. Um, and, and I think that's where a lot of the criticisms come from. I think it's fair criticism. Uh, but again, anybody can do it. Like I could retire tomorrow, uh, maintain my contract and come back, you know, um, it was six months of testing. Yeah. And I listen, 
no, I'm not here to defend Connor, but I mean, I will say, like, when you go through a severe injury like that, like, it's going to take a lot to come back from that broken leg. Like, it's it's a hard thing to come back from. And realistically, like, we've not really seen guys come back. I mean, Anderson Silva came back from it, but Anderson Silva was never the same again. Now, you can say Anderson was older and, you know, his time had passed, and that's fine. Um, but, you know, that's... I can't even beat Jake Paul now. <laughs> but I mean, like, but I mean, like, if, if, if Connor, like, and, and I think this is also goes into like the larger conversation with USADA. Like, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I, I, I can't pretend I am. I don't know what you need to take medicine wise to get your bone back to full density and health to where you can fight again. I don't know if no every, medicine for that shit. Yeah. There like, I don't know if, like, that. yeah. And, and like, I don't care if, and Connor's and if there is a medicine, then, then you would get uh, an exemption. Like you would disclose that when they come and test you. Yeah. But if you're on, if he's, if he's on, like, let's just hypothetically say he's on every steroid known to mankind right now. Well, that's great, but he still has to, he's still going to have to stop doing it before he fights again. And, and he's going to have to lose weight and lose muscle and, and get back down to yeah, with, 170 the, or what? The problem with that is they have shown in studies in the past few years, the pretty recent studies, if I recall, that the gains that you make from steroids do have long lasting effects. Like, and it is not just a temporary thing. And that's what I was getting to right there because it, it, we could, yeah, he has to go through all this clean testing. He has to do all that, but, and there's the big, but anything you've done in the meantime, doesn't just go away. Like, it's not like he stops doing steroids and he just suddenly doesn't get the benefit of that. And again, I don't know what he's, I don't know if he's doing anything, but you can't help but raise the suspicion. Why would you drop out of the USADA pool? Otherwise, like, is it just, a, it, cause it can't, it can't just be an inconvenience thing. Like you don't want them coming to your movie set to take your piss test. Come on now. Like we, like there's right, a I reason mean, like, why I you drop out. Right. I, I have not fought in six months, but I did not drop out of USADA pool. Right. And yeah. it is an inconvenience. <laughs> it is fucking annoying. Like they come here at odd times of the morning and night. They come to my gym when I'm getting ready to train or, they came just the other day when I was getting ready to teach. And I was like, you guys got to stand over there and watch me. Cause I got to fucking run this class I'm teaching right now. <laughs> it is fucking inconvenient, but that is no reason to drop out. So yeah, that, that's, it's insanity to, well, and that's that what that would be. And that's the thing. Like if he's retired, okay, fine. Like, dude, I, you, I don't care if Connor retires. He's got more, he's got more money than I'll make in 18 lifetimes. He can retire tomorrow. I don't care. Like, that's cool. But it's just a weird, there is a weird thing, (laughs) but it, but it is a weird thing, right? Like you just drop out, but you're still an active fighter. Like there's gotta be a reason for that. Like, I don't want to play conspiracy. Why are you still in the rankings? Yeah. Like, why are you, if you're retired, retire and you come back from retirement. Yeah. But if you're not retired, you're still talking about fighting people. You're still training all that kind of stuff. But you're just not being tested, so why? Like that, I think that's what everyone yeah. wants the answer. Like, why? Yeah, well, I've, I mean, I think we all know why. You know, <laughs> it's just a loophole. And again, we could all exploit it. I mean, there's no reason that any of us couldn't exploit it. I think most of us don't make the money that he has to afford uh, that much time off, though, right? Like, he, he has the money he could take. You know, he's still pretty young. What is he, 32? 30, 34, I think, now? Yeah, okay, 34. So, like, he has... He's young enough, has obviously has the money. He doesn't ever have to fight again if he doesn't want to, right? Like, um, so 
we most guys, the vast majority, can't afford to take a year off, do six months of steroids, and then six months back in the testing pool. Otherwise, I, I guarantee way more people would be doing it. Like it, it you know, it's a, it's a simple loophole. You know, there's no reason um, that it, guys wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, it's just, but like I guess I guess what I'm getting at my larger point about all this is is like Anthony Smith's criticism is valid in a way. Now you're not like, he's not technically cheating the system because as you said, it's a loophole. He's not cheating the system. He's, he's, he's exploiting a loophole that maybe they need to close. You know, maybe that's the bigger conversation we need to have. Like if you're not actually retired, you don't get to just drop out for six months. Like we can have that conversation, but I don't think, I don't think it's, I don't think it's unfair for Anthony to have those questions because why else do you drop out of a testing pool for six months? (laughs) If I mean, you know, if you're not retired, if you're not retired I mean, and you it, absolutely if you absolutely plan on fighting again and you drop out of USADA for six months, why? Well, <laughs> you know, you shouldn't assume, right. but we have to assume there's a reason why. And it's not because you were afraid that they weren't gonna be able to find you in Costa Rica. It's because you were doing something you shouldn't <laughs> have been doing under the USADA testing pool. It's kind of always surprised me that there's nobody that has exploited this to a greater extent where they fight once a year pull out of the pool straight away, do six months of steroids, six months of testing, fight again. Yeah. It surprised me that no one has done this. Like it crossed my mind when I was, uh, when I retired at 17 and I was like, wait, I can just come back and fucking just do six months of testing. Like, you know, I mean, it, it, it's foolish not to uh, uh, cross your mind to do that. You know, yeah, I mean, I've never know. taken steroids, but um you know, there's, it's not that I wouldn't ever take steroids. It's just, you know, it's not, uh, you know, I'm not a rule breaker like that, you know, but like when I retire, like I'm going to take steroids. So, you know, the, the fact is, you know, the moral ground, you know, that's not the the point of it. You know, there's 90%, more than 90% of these guys like would, would absolutely be exploiting that loophole if they could. You know, it's just the fact that most of these guys, I think, have to fight more than once a year or just have the desire to. And but my point is, it has surprised me that no one has exploited it this way. Yeah, Connor, Connor is exploiting a loophole um, in a weird way. (laughs) I'm not saying you should applaud the guy for it, but like he is raising a real issue that we've never really had raised before. Right. Like no one's really done this. As you said, you're surprised more people haven't done it. Connor is kind of exploiting like um, a flaw in the system, right? Like he's kind of found a flaw in the, in the, in the programming. And he's kind of like, well, yeah. Hey, if you're not going to, if you're not going to change it, you're not going to make me do it. Then, uh, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's oh, your you problem. Mean, not my problem. Yeah. I mean, he's following the rules, right? How can you, you can't hate on him. He's following the fucking rules, man. Yeah, no, it's true. You're absolutely right. It's just, it's a weird, like I said, that's the weird thing about it. And, and again, I don't think Connor cares and nor should he. I mean, he's doing his own thing. Like, I don't, I don't think he cares, but like you, uh, you, me, Anthony Smith and every other person out there knows when he does finally come back and fight again, everybody and their brother is going to assume for the past six months, he's been shooting every drug known to mankind <laughs> to get, to get jacked sure, up man. and, you know, yeah. And realistically, most of the guys at the highest level, like I do kind of assume they're on something. I mean, I I think that's a standard thing. Like most of this stuff is not about, um, 
like, like most of it is about whether you can beat it or not. It's, it's not whether guys would or wouldn't do it. It's whether they can beat the system or not. Right. Yeah. And guys like Connor, you know, they have the means and the doctors, the money to spend, to be able to beat it. Like, I don't know those ways. I don't have the access to those people to teach me that stuff or do it for me. Guys like him do. So why wouldn't they do it? Um, you know, there was a, there was something I read a long time ago where they asked all these Olympic athletes, they said, if I gave you this pill that would make you win, you know, every race today and you'll get every gold medal, but you're going to die in a week, would you take it? And they're all like, hell yeah, I would, <laughs> you know, and that's the athlete's mindset, right? Like, you know, there's, there's nothing that we wouldn't do to win. So to think that guys, you know, that can afford it are not out there doing it is just foolish, I think, and naive. And, you know, this is one of the things I agree with Luke Thomas on. He talks about it all the time, a huge criticism of USADA. And there's a lot of things uh, with Luke that I don't agree on, but this is one I might greatly agree on with him about. And he talks about it all the time. You know, a lot of his criticisms with USADA and, um, I, I would urge people to listen to some of his talks about it. Um, you know, not to be plugging other people's shows, but <laughs> you know, I think I he like has great Luke. views. I like that. Luke. I like Luke. <laughs> we all like Luke. You know, he, um, again, there's tons of things I disagree with him about with this one. I think he's spot on with it. Yeah. It's, uh, like I said, um, you know, is it fair? Well, he's not breaking the rules. He's not I mean, breaking the rules. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to like it. I, I get, uh, trust me, I fully understand where Anthony Smith is coming from, 100%. I, <laughs> I'm i like, yeah, I get what you're saying, dude. You're not wrong. Um, but technically, neither is Connor. Technically, Connor's not breaking the rules. Now, you know, we can have a larger conversation when he comes back if he's still beefed up and looks like a bodybuilder when he fights again. And we can say, well, you <laughs> know, is that fair? But, you know, again, that's a conversation for a different day. But well, I, um, I can think of like some of my opinions on this stuff dating back pretty far because I come from the, pre-USADA era and for instance like the last fight that I had the last card before USADA is when I fought Johnny Hendricks um I believe I was co-main event like there's no doubt he was juiced to the fucking gills right you know so I had tons of criticisms about this stuff back in the day um but the fact is when you think about it critically and rationally like I was the fool for not doing it especially pre-USADA like that was a my mistake you know so my views have changed a lot on that you know i don't necessarily hate on guys for doing it like they're the next guy's going to do it too so you know he's going to beat it the best that he can so you better try to beat it the best that you fucking can and you know and these guys sometimes they get caught like john jones got caught anderson silva got caught you know of course they found a loophole in the legal system through it right <laughs> rather than the testing they found a uh a, a, a loophole and, you know, the picograms or whatever kind of shit, right? Or or what did Anderson say? Fucking uh, some Chinese dick pills or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was the, it, was the, it was the gas station dick pills that got him. Yeah, gas station dick pills. You know, good for them. You know, it didn't tarnish their reputation. Like, I still put John down as one of the greatest ever. Um, me personally, like, I kind of make two lists. I'm like, I'm like, the greatest ever is really like GSP and Demetrius Johnson and, um, you know, guys like that. Um uh, and then there's the other guys who are the, you know, the top five goats, but there's a little asterisk, asterisk, you know, with, with uh, John Jones and, and Anderson Silva in particular, right. Where you're like, you're like, yeah, but they did test positive. 
you know, whether they, okay, they beat it legally, whatever, but they tested positive period. Like you can't, you just can't, you know, overlook that and say, well, it was Tana supplement or, you know, you, you had good enough lawyers to win. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And like I said, there's no, I mean, there's no perfect right or wrong answer to this question. You know what I mean? Like I'm not condemning Conor McGregor for gaming the system. Uh, like I said, if you want to have a bigger complaint, complain to USADA that they're allowing it to happen. Uh, right, you know what right. I mean? Like complain to them say, hold on now, if he's not retired and listen, is it a technicality? Is he retired? Not retired? Sure. But I mean, like I said, that's the technicality. He's still holding the ranking. He's still, you know, and, yeah, still, that's the problem. He's still in the ranking. Yeah. And that's, and again, that's a bigger problem. But like I said, and again, you know, he's not, he's not technically breaking the rules, breaking the rules would be staying in still, the pool. Is it still the media making the rankings? Is that still how they operate? I mean, it is, but I'm not in it. I don't think a lot of the more, uh, more, any of the, none of the really seriously credentialed media are involved in those rankings because all of us understand. And one of the reasons why a lot of people aren't involved is because we've seen the games that get played with rankings. Like Nate Diaz got pulled out because he got into a contract dispute with the UFC. And so they just pulled him from the rankings and that's just not fair. Like it's not fair to be involved in that. Like, I don't want to, I don't want my it's ranking really more to like play. UFC media rankings. Yeah, I mean, there, there are media, there are a few legit. I'm not going to discredit everyone in there. I'm just saying like, by and large, like you're not the majority of like the journalists, you know, by name are not involved in those rankings. I guess is the best way to say it. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting rabbit hole to go down, I think, really. Maybe we should talk about that sometime in depth because um, I find that pretty interesting. Um, but that's to me, is really the bigger issue, him just not being pulled from the rankings. I mean, if you're, you know, it's got to be one or the other. It, it can't be both. And that's, um, you know, that should be the price you pay to pull out of the, the USADA pool. Like now you're a, a nobody ranked guy and you got to come back and you know fight uh you know fucking number 15 or something well, right? and the funny the funny thing about connor though is connor i don't like connor probably doesn't care about whether he's ranked or not like connor i'm sure he doesn't I'm because sure connor doesn't. connor's gonna come back and fight the biggest names because he's connor freaking mcgregor connor doesn't need a ranking next right. to his name to get big fights you know what i mean so like i said i'm not excusing it and i completely like i said i tend to side with anthony smith on the argument about it but at the same time as you said ultimately he's gaming a system a loophole that they're allowing him to expose and to use and like i said if you want to close that loophole that's the conversation we need to have but otherwise like i said technically he's not doing anything wrong um you know by doing what he's doing it's just it's a weird one right like he has the means and opportunity to do that where most people couldn't and like you said you're surprised more people haven't done it um it's just a weird situation like it's, i think it's the first time i can ever remember a fighter dropping out of the usada testing pool for six months or whatever the timing you know whatever the timeline is uh who wasn't retired or gone out of the u.s like this is the first time i can remember anyone just like i'm just gonna drop out for six months and you know do things and then come back, and, you know, like and post pictures of him just <laughs> jacked out of fucking mind. <laughs> like that doesn't help him at all doing that, you know. You're just well, yeah, like, that's that's the other I, thing. Like, we right? kind of like, know what you're doing anyway, but now you're posting pictures of you 220 pounds jacked, bro. Like, yeah, yeah, you're you are now you are now heavyweight Conor McGregor. You are no longer lightweight Conor McGregor. Uh, yeah, well, it's right. going to be interesting to see who he comes back to fight, but. It does. And it's like I said, you said, like, again, that doesn't, you know, just going off that stuff for six months doesn't necessarily negate the gains you got while you were on it. So it's, you know, it'll be interesting when he comes back. So, you know, we'll see what happens yeah, the in 2023. Like, wait, you know, it seemed to me it wasn't really his strength and his uh, power that was really the big question anyway. It was his 
uh, cardio, right? Like that seems to be the big knock on him. That's where he loses his fights. Usually, uh, the ones that he has lost, you know, were cardio issues. Um, I don't think you can take EPO and maintain those gains like uh, other steroids, like anabolic steroids. Yeah. I don't know the facts and details about that, but I'm pretty sure because uh, you know, the mechanism by which it works and, what it actually accomplishes, I can't see how that would hold over for you know for six months. Yeah, well, we'll have to see. Well, like I said, he says he's coming back in 2023. I guess we'll find out. Uh, with that being said, Matt, we're going to go ahead and get to the interview I did earlier with uh, with Wonder Boy. Uh, we're going to talk about ambulance fights. No, I'm just joking. We're not actually going to talk about that. I <laughs> this. Uh, we're going to talk to Wonder Boy about the fight with Kevin Holland. Uh, it's coming up this weekend, of course. Uh, he was on Cobra Kai recently, which is cool. So we'll talk to him about that. Uh, also, of course, like his standing in the division, where he's going at welterweight. We'll talk a little bit about Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards three, which is uh, we assume is coming up early 2023. So we'll talk about that right now. Uh, we'll be back next week. Me and Matt will be back next week reacting to this fight we'll also be previewing next week we'll be previewing ufc uh 282 because now that entire fight card has changed dramatically we have a new title fight at the top now with jan blahovich and magomed ankalaev fighting for the light heavyweight title so we'll talk about that next week so we'll have a lot to break down with that and uh right now let me get to my interview with steven wonderboy thompson the bellator champion series is back in action friday may 17th live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the US. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge? That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. He is one of the top welterweight fighters in the world, and on December 3rd, he will return for another main event at UFC Orlando, taking on Kevin Holland. I am always happy to speak to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Stephen, how are you, my friend? Doing great, man. Always a pleasure to be on with you, so I appreciate you having me, man. Absolutely. You know, we talk a lot, we text a lot, but man, it's good to talk to you when there's a fight booked, right? Like, you know it's coming up around the corner. I know you've been kind of itching for this. Uh, It's got to feel good to have another one booked. It does. Finally, man. You know, I had that collarbone issue happen in the beginning of the year after the Bilal fight. 
and they're just trying to find the right fight. You know, my last two guys have been really strong grapplers and I, I wanted a, a good striker and what better guys than Kevin Holland. Um, the guy's got a name. He did well in the 185 division. He's moved down to 170. He's doing work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now the collarbone, it was a torn muscle. Is that what it was? It was torn cartilage here in my collarbone. Okay. Wow. So whenever I would lift my shoulder up, it's supposed to move up and down like this. It was kind of move. It was moving over. So they wanted me to be extra careful because he, they didn't want that bone to kind of jab into any arteries or any uh, nerves in my neck. So I had to kind of really take it slow. I actually injured it in my second fight in UFC against Matt Brown years ago. So it was a reoccurring injury. I injured again, helping uh, Weidman, Chris Weidman, get ready for one of his fights um, years later. And then after the Bilal fight, it was after he picked me up and he dumped me to my left. So I put my arm down to prevent myself from falling on my head. And we both landed on that shoulder and it kind of jacked that collarbone up. But it's feeling good right now, man. And the body's feeling well. Um, and camp is going good. <laughs> you're you know we i remember when we first met years and years ago when you were getting ready to like kind of come into mma full-time from doing all the things in striking and i remember you had the acl surgeries you know you were helping gsp at that time i remember you went through some crazy injuries that kind of delayed you from you know fighting at that point but for the most part you've not dealt with a ton of injuries throughout your career unless i'm missing something but is this just one of those kind of freaky things like it happened all those years ago and it just continued to happen i guess it was just time to finally get it fixed yeah, man, exactly. Like, you know, I like I said, I haven't really had a a, a lot of in injuries. And my big ones was my ACL. This was before MMA. And little things. It's like the little things that kind of uh, they kind of mess with you during camp. It's not really the, the big injuries. So from time to time, I'll have some knee aches, that 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 kind of reoccurring knee aches that, that happened. And that's just probably uh, bone on bone or arthritis in those knees, having, you know, six knee surgeries on my left and two on my right. Um, and then like this, you know, the collarbone thing, it's just one of those things that fl flares back up or, or re injure it. And, uh, you just got to deal with it. You know, you got to work your way around it. Yeah, absolutely. So now coming back from that, I'd heard rumors, you know, maybe it was going to be Madison square garden. I know that's kind of like a sweet spot for you. You fought there before, uh, ended up being December 3rd main event in Orlando against Kevin Holland. Really, really fun matchup. I know you had mentioned maybe Michelle Perea was another name out there, possibly, you know, matched up. So were you happy with the date? I know the opponent's good because you mentioned, you know, that was a name you mentioned. I, I want to say a couple of months ago as a guy you'd be interested in fighting. Um, but I had heard Madison square garden. Now it's going to be a main event in Orlando. Did you have a preference? one way or the other i'm sure it's always good to be in a main event yeah it is it's really good to be the main event you know i really wanted to be on that november card because you know i've 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 madison square garden is, is is just a legendary venue and to be able to perform there in front of those people in the crowd is just awesome it's kind of my you know like i've said before my home away from home spending a lot of time there with chris Weibin when he was in long island but to have my have a main event now five five minute rounds i i, I can't complain um, I like those five, five minute rounds, to be honest, I'd rather do those than the three fives. So to be able to main event in Orlando where it's warm and feeling good, <laughs> uh, the weather's great, the vibe's great. So I'm just excited to be a part of that. Um, I know Kevin Holland had something going on over him. I think he had like a party or something he had to go to <laughs> or something. I don't remember what he said, but, uh, yeah, as soon as that fight was announced, it was hilarious. He ended up hitting me up in the DMS. And um, I think he had somebody on his podcast, uh, a girl that works with him, who was rooting for me. She's a big fan. And he was like, man, you know, I, I can't complain. I'm a big fan. I appreciate it. Uh, could you send her a happy birthday? So I did that. <laughs> you know, it was pretty cool. 
um, to get that from Kevin Holland. So he he's a not only is he a good dude, good fighter, but he's also a, what a superhero. <laughs> yeah, he's like saving lives out there. Like, how does that work? Does he have like a what a CB radio out there <laughs> listening to the crime? Like, he's like at the right time, like perfect time. Yeah, it's crazy. He does have a tendency. I, I joked with him. I talked to him like when he told me the story about him stopping and helping the overturn tractor trailer. I kind of jokingly asked him. I said, "So save anybody's life today?" And he's like, "Well, as a matter of fact, I was like, dude, like, what are you doing? Like, where are you going? That you just keep running into like these weird situations." That's hilarious, man. He's like a uh, yeah. They call me the Wonder Boy, but he's like a superhero now. Like, yeah, you can't help but Kevin Hall is a superhero, man. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, Kevin, you know, I, I I don't know how long this fight's been in the works. I, I had heard rumors, you know, because, again, he was he was going to fight at UFC 279 regardless. It was going to be Daniel Rodriguez. He ends up getting Hamzat in the weird kind of crazy situation the way it happened because I had heard afterwards it was going to be this. And, of course, Kevin's, you know, playing a few games, doing the whole I'm retired thing. I don't think anyone ever truly believed him, but, man, he was trying to sell it hard. He was really trying to sell it hard that he was retired. Like, how long has this fight been talked about with you? Because I don't know, in the back of your mind, you stop at retirement. Are you kind of laughing? Are you kind of chuckling, saying, this dude ain't retired? Yeah, man. Well, I know we've talked about it, um, you know, with the UFC for a little while, not 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 too, too long. I knew he was a name, and they wanted me They wanted me to fight him. They were excited about that fight. and But he had the fight, obviously, with supposed to have been um, Daniel Rodriguez and that whole debacle, which is weird. It's weird, very weird. <laughs> um, but um, I wasn't really sure. Like it was out there, the UFC wanted it to happen, but I didn't know. I know, I know Kevin was hitting me up on social media, making wanted to, wanted to get a fight, but I guess it just didn't line up, right? I wanted it in Madison Square Garden, Madison Square Garden. Um, he wanted it a little bit earlier. <clears throat> so, you know, I guess he came out of that last fight unscathed and he wants to get back out there, but he comes back with, I'm retired. I'm like, wait a second. No, there's no way. There's no way this guy's retired. Like, he's on a roll. You know, he just beats one, once in the welterweight division, and he, and he wants to retire. So deep down, I felt like he really wasn't. He was just playing the game. So I was chuckling a little bit. But then when I got the word that he was going to do, he's come out of retirement <laughs> to fight me. I'm like, okay, that's, you know, I, I it, it was it was just funny how that all ended up turning out. But um, it's, yeah, it's, man, be, we're it's, good, it it's good to know. It's good to know you're super duper magical. That's what he said. He would only come back for something super duper magical. You're super well, duper magical. I think he said. A, I think he said a wonderful matchup. <laughs> wonderful matchup with Wonder Boy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, with that being said, you know, this is this is a really fun matchup, but it's coming off, you know, with, with Kevin in that situation with Hamzat. And, you know, you've been, you know, you've been in a lot of fights against a lot of different styles your entire career. You mentioned, you know, coming off a couple of grapplers and Gilbert Burns, a fight you were one round away from winning. I think a lot of people forget that. You obviously had a really good second round. You know, credit to Gilbert for getting the job done. Tough yes, fight sir. against Bilal. Um, yes. I'm curious, listen, you can't, you can't sit in anyone else's shoes. So I'm not necessarily trying to ask you to do that, but you know, Kevin had that situation at UFC 279 where he's getting ready to fight kind of a primarily a boxer and Daniel Rodriguez. And he goes from that to a guy in Hamzad who, you know, is going to try to take you down. You know, he's going to try to grapple with you. And a lot of people like that's the danger, the inherent danger of taking a short notice fight, especially like that 24 hours notice when you haven't trained grappling, you haven't trained wrestling. You're probably just training for a boxer, all those kind of things. I'm curious your take on that situation because, you know, you've been around the sport for a long time and you've had, you know, opponents fall out. You've had fights be delayed, things like this. And listen, from what I understand, he got paid. And and that, you know, we're all, you're all here to make money. This is prize fighting. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad he got a paycheck. But 
that is like a completely different stylistic matchup. I'm curious your take on yeah. that because it was so weird for him to go from like, I mean, talk about like opposites, like Daniel Rodriguez or Hamza are like as opposite as you can get in, t- in terms of styles. Yeah, and at first, the way they had it, you know, they had Hamzad fighting Nate Diaz and, you know, um, Li Jing Liang was fighting uh, Tony Ferguson. I figured, I, th- I thought that Li Jing Liang was kind of kind of got stiffed on on that whole situation. Number one, he wasn't able to wear his suit because he just got this brand new suit, wasn't able to wear it. Then, you know, he's got to fight somebody completely different. But... um. I thought I think that was planned. I think it was planned. I, I think nobody wanted to see Nate Diaz just get manhandled by Hamzat for for the for the entire the entirety of the round. I figure Hamzat would have just destroyed him. That's what everybody thought. Nobody was wanted, was wanting to tune in. But with the switcheroo, people were. It was more interesting. You know that whole debacle at the at the press conference. They've never canceled a press conference. And I thought at a press conference, you know, they wanted hostility they wanted the crap talk that's what that's why we have press conferences right so for them to cancel because the debacle bats backstage i figured the ufc would want that but it was weird it was very weird situation and the way they added up should have been the way they had it up in the beginning you know two veterans nate diaz tony ferguson and i think i think they might have they might have known known about it yeah you know this is what we're gonna do kevin you know we're gonna have you fight Blah blah blah. Nobody wants to fight. We're not getting we're not getting the sales we wanted. So we're going to give you this much money to fight Hamzat. Of course, when they're giving you when they're throwing numbers at you like that, it's kind of hard to say no, no matter who it is, right? He's getting a good payday. So I think it was I think it was, might have been like fairly late, but it was planned. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people have said that. I know Dana has tried to shoot it down, but listen, we can't deny that you know. No one was giving Nate a great chance and because Nate's not a welterweight. Yeah. I know he's fought a welterweight a lot, but Nate's not truly a welterweight. He's just not. No. And Hamzad is, you know, a middleweight in a lot of ways. I mean, he basically fought a middleweight 100%. that night. So, you know, that is, and like I said, you know, and, and Tony and Nate was a fun fight. Like, it was fun to see those two veterans go out there and do it. And, and you know, even if Tony had won, like, it would have been a great fight either way. Um. Yeah, it was a weird one, and and you're not alone. Trust me, you're not the first person I've spoken to. Is like, come on now. Like, I know they like to say it's not planned, but come on now, there was something going on there. Exactly for them to cancel a press conference. Like that's what a press conference is supposed to do: hype the fight up, get these fighters in each other's faces, and for them to cancel that, it's like, wait a second. Don't you want? You don't you want hostility? Don't you want? you know, out there on stage to make it exciting. I mean, you remember the Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor throwing bottles at each other. I was like, at that, that was press cool. conference. I was Where at that press conference. Dude, like everybody knew that was just, that's what made the fight. And um, yeah, it was just weird. It was just a, a whole weird situation. Everybody was kind of on the same thought level as us. You know, it was planned. It had to have been planned. But yeah. uh, it was cool, though. It was exciting the way I was happy with the fight. Um at the end, how it was matched up. I was definitely happy with that. Yeah. Do you, do you take, I mean, I, I listen, I think I know the answer, but can you even really take anything away from the, the, cause you're not Hamza. You're not going to go out there. I imagine. I mean, obviously you're a mixed martial artist. You could go out there and throw a flying triangle, but you know, I, I listen, I know, listen, it was, it was a tough fight. Kevin got submitted, you know, in the first round is what it is, but I, I really, I personally, I don't think he really loses any stock because he was fighting a guy who was, 
you know, didn't, we don't know how much weight he was actually cutting. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I listen, I'm not, you know, I'm, again, I'm not trying to play conspiracy theory, but come on now, you come in at 178.5 for a welterweight fight. How much were you actually cutting? Uh, you know, again, now to, you know, Kevin was supposed to fight a catch weight. So it wasn't like he was fighting a guy that was so much bloated more than him. But again, how much, how much weight cutting did he even have to do? And again, he went out there and fought a guy who was the complete opposite of the opponent he was supposed to fight. He got caught. He got, you know, got in the Darce choke and it was over. I don't really think he loses any stock. And I think that's why yep. we're seeing you guys in the main event. Am I, am I fair in saying that? Oh, yeah, 100%. And, and he was there to kind of save the show as well. I mean, nobody wanted to step out there with Hamzat when he first came up. Nobody wanted to. You know, he's a very dangerous fighter. Um, it's not the first time he's missed weight either. So it's like, you know, he, he didn't even look sunk down when he stepped on scale. He was in good mood. He was flexing. He was kind of, you know, giving to the crowd, like, you know, what are you going to do? You know, the face he was making. I think I think if, if it was anybody's stock, it was his stock that kind of went down after that fight. All the crap talk uh, going leading into that fight and then for him not to make weight and the amount of weight that he had left to cut was just like, come on, bro. Like either go to well, go to middleweight or make the weight, right? We all signed a contract to make 170, and he's notorious not to do it. He's played the DC, you know, <laughs> messing with the, the the towel trick, you know. But I don't think it took away from Kevin's talk at all, and especially how that round started. Kevin walks out of the middle, goes give him the high five, and immediately ducks up underneath and shoots in on Kevin and takes him down, right? Normally, if a guy comes up, of course, I'm, you know, I'm a nice guy, but if you want to high five, I'll high five you. I want to act like I'm going to high five you and just shit on the legs. But, you know, I mean, it's the name of the game. People that go out there and do that. They'll fake the, the high five and punch you in the face. But on this instance, it was like high five. Nope. Takedown. I don't think it takes away from him at all. I mean, he's, he's doing work in the welterweight division. He's got a good personality. He's got great stock and he's finished some of the best guys at middleweight. Like, I mean, come on. For you to lose to Hamzat, who is just a, a beast of a guy, a beast of a wrestler, and didn't make weight, like, I, I don't think it messed with his stock at all. Yeah. Now in your, in your career, Steven, you know, we joke, but it's all, it's all so serious. You are the NMF. We know that you are the, the nicest mofo in the sport and, and you've never really gotten into the trash toss. Even like, it's funny. Like the, I think the most, like, I think the most, I won't say the angriest, but like the most, you know, the most hyped up Steven Thompson I've ever talked to was, was before and after the Tyron Woodley fights. Now it's funny. You and Tyron have actually become friends, which is hilarious. Um, but like, that was probably the most I've ever seen you kind of amped up and like, you know, kind of going after it. And again, even then it wasn't like full on trash talk. We know Kevin likes to talk a little trash. He likes to get, he actually does it in the cage. He'll talk to you. He'll talk to the commentators. He'll talk to everybody during a fight. Now him reaching out to you in the DMs kind of leads me to believe he's not going to say craziness just to, you know, try to hype a fight. Maybe during the fight, it'll be funny, but like, how do you, I guess this is kind of a weird question because it's like, how do you approach a guy that actually talks to you in the cage? Like, even if he's not tra talking trash, just like talking to you, like he would talk to guys say like during takedowns, but yep, you got that takedown. Like, he's doing commentary during his fights. <laughs> you got to love it. I've actually, Tyron Woodley would do that in the fight. He would sit there and talk to you a little bit. So it's nothing new. I think it's hilarious, you know, that he that he goes out there and talks. And maybe that's his his way of kind of coping with the fight, right? People do different stuff. Like, I know people, before they do something exciting, you know, uh, or something scary, they laugh. They laugh out loud. They have to do it. And maybe that's his way of going out there and just being comfortable. And that's just kind of chatting with his opponent. And at the same time, when you sit there and talk to somebody, 
I'm calculating, you know, your opponent's calculating on what they're going to say back and not thinking about the fight, right? Or yeah. they're thinking, should I, should I say something back? Or let me say something back and then you're getting punched in the face. So I think it could be a rude too, like, you know, maybe his way of coping with it, but also a distraction for your opponent. And that's a great way to kind of, you know, land your strikes. So it's nothing that I've never seen before. I, I've definitely been out there with somebody who talks. And uh, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a fun fight for sure. Yeah. You know, throughout your career, Steven, you know, you've not dealt with a lot of losses, you know, throughout your career. That's why you've remained one of the top 10 welterweights for, you know, for almost the entire part of your UFC career. You know, coming off two losses against, you know, again, two guys who went out there with a very specific game planned out grapple. You and again, credit to them for, for getting the job done. Uh, but we do know you as one of the most lethal, one of the most creative strikers we've ever seen in this sport. And this is a really fun matchup. I can't imagine Kevin is going to go out there and start shooting double legs and, you know, trying to go for flying triangles either. Uh, with that being said, do you feel like this is a chance to kind of go out there and remind people a little bit? Like, because when you lose the listen, we are notoriously prisoners of the moment in this sport. When you win one, you're the greatest guy ever. You lose one, you're a bum. You were never good. We, yeah. all, we, we all, you always hear, we all know that. Um, but is there a chance in this fight to kind of go out and remind people a little bit about who Wonder Boy is? Because again, the last two fights, neither fight was neither fight was bad. It wasn't like you know, it wasn't like you know, you got finished in the first round or something crazy like that. You got you got guys who went out there and I grappled you and credit to them for doing it. But is there a little bit of like let's let's kind of remind people with this fight? Yeah, man. I mean, it it really is, and it's funny. Like Kevin, I think that's what makes this fight so exciting. He's you know he's you know six three. He's got an eighty inch reach, which is going to be a uh, uh, a fun way of trying to figure out a way around that reach, right? It's like a game plan in itself and uh, having to adapt while you're out there because I don't know what else he's worked on. He's one of those guys that gets better as he, you know, as he continues to fight. But yeah, man, it's a kind of a way to show not just the guys in the UFC, but those people who, you know, the last two fights have said I'm a bum, kind of go back and remind them, hey, man, you know, I'm, I'm still one of the top welterweights in the UFC and you still gotta you still gotta watch out for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. So um yeah, man, it's the time to go out there and do it. Put on a show, baby. That's what that and that's what we do. So and and to do it against somebody like Kevin Holland, like that's fight of the night. Like, come on, we're gonna get the we're gonna get the bonus. I know I know we are. Um but uh yeah, man, I, I wanna go out there and let everybody know that I'm still here. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you real quick, Stephen, because I want to, you know, we were, we've talked a lot in the past about kind of the lay of the land at welterweight. And I know for a long time, this is going back year, year and a half, you know, a guy you wanted to fight very badly. You wanted to fight was Leon Edwards. When Leon was stuck without a fight, you, know, you wanted a top five opponent. You were a top five guy. And we kind of, I know we did an interview about it. You're kind of like, I'm not sure why he doesn't want to call my name, but he's not calling my name. <laughs> like, you know, whatever. Listen, Leon went out there and pulled off one of the greatest comebacks in the history of the sport. Craziest knockouts ever, knocking out Kamaru Usman. Um, can I get your take on that fight? Because it was a guy you wanted for the longest time. And I thought that was a really fun fight because much like Kevin Holland, Leon is primarily a striker. Now, credit to him. He actually went out there in that first round and actually took Kamaru down, which was kind of shocking to everybody but i want to get your thoughts on that because that was the guy you wanted for the longest time you wanted to fight leon and if you fought him maybe you wouldn't even have got that title shot yeah man i mean watching that fight it was kind of uh inspiring not only that but it it showed how good freaking leon edwards is yes kamara uzman was taking him down but could he hold him down no he couldn't Edwards was getting back up to his feet. Not only that, but he's taken down one of the guys who's never been taken down in the UFC. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I think he's got 
uh, takedown defense. Yep. Uh, Leon Edwards, it shows his power, shows his strength, his evolution of MMA, not just with his striking, but with his wrestling and jujitsu. And being in Utah, higher elevation, him being able to keep his calm out there and not let Usman break him, I think it was very smart. And for him to land that combination last round was just perfect because as the fight goes on, as you fatigue, you start over-exaggerating your techniques, especially your defense, right? It was just a perfect timing. Usman had his, his left foot in front. Uh, Edwards had his right foot in front. He fainted with the left hand. And you see Usman hand. He goes to parry it, but it was just a little too far. You know what I mean? He parried, <clears throat> and that backhand strayed a little too far away from his from his head. Whenever you parry a strike, it should be here. Just real quick. And he went a little too far. And you can see that head kick coming. It was just there was no telegraph. It was one tending right after the next. And you see Usman try to get that hand back in time, but the kick was already there. It was just the right time, man. The right. It was perfect timing on Edwards' part. So it showed everything in that fight of Edwards. Takedown defense. His spirit in that fight. It was strong. He wouldn't let him he would he wouldn't let Usman break him. <coughs> his wrestling taking him down. And of course he finished with a striking, that perfect head kick. Now it was notorious. I called it actually. The UFC was at the house and we were having a big fight party. I was like, head kick all day. And he ended up throwing the head kick and putting him to sleep. But Usman was winning. He was winning up until the head kick happened, up until he wasn't. So I figure he has to pull another one of those off the next time they step out there. He's going to have to. Now it's going to be somewhere at elevation. Uh, they're both cardio is going to be really, really good, especially Kamara Usman. Cause you saw during the fight, they kept, they both kind of fatigued a little bit. Uh, and I think it was the elevation that kind of, uh, you saw that in a lot of other fighters. Oh, as well, yeah. right? So, ah, man, I think he's going to have to pull another one of those off though, but he's going to step in that next, that next fight you know, on a roll, like with the win, you know, knowing that, and Usman's got to go out there thinking, oh my gosh, like I got to watch out for that head kick now. Not only that, but the guy's got wrestling too. So he's got to be on point every step of the way. So I think you know, Us uh, Leon Edwards has the momentum going into the next fight as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people are picking Kamaru Usman. And listen, I'm I, listen. I'm one of the people that I thought you know Kamaru was on his way to you know challenging George St. Pierre as the greatest welterweight of all time. He's on that kind of run. He was so dominant, and then Leon caught him. But it reminds me a little bit of the John Jones Daniel Cormier fight a few years ago when John. If you do you remember, like they fought the first time, it was a good fight. Yeah. John won, and then afterwards, John talked a lot about this tendency that DC had to duck his head in a certain way. He brought it up in interviews and things, almost like he was giving away his game plan, and DC talked about it. And then in the fight, John caught him with that head kick exactly how he said DC was like, that's how he ducked his head. Now, we all know it got overturned, the whole drug testing thing, but I'm just talking about the technique itself. Like, he talked about it, DC acknowledged it, and then he did it in the fight, and he got it. You have to wonder, listen, I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to favor Kamaru in the rematch because, again, he was winning the fight. You take the elevation thing out of there, you take the cardio out of there, maybe he wouldn't have been a little slower in that fifth round. I'll probably pick Kamaru Usman to win. But that, that John Jones thing rang in my head. I'm like, now that he knows that head kick's there, and that was such a beautiful technique. It was so well perfectly set up. You can't help but wonder, like, could he pull it off again? Or could he use that to set up another strike? You know, set, exactly. up, like, set, him, set him up for the head kick and then pull something else out. 
that's the thing. Like at something like that, such a basic movement, um, just a little parry, it's very hard to take that out to take that away. You know what I mean? You've been doing it for so many years, it's muscle memory. So something like that could definitely be set up again during the fight, especially later on, if it if it even uh, you know, fight lasts that long. He could definitely pull that off again and use that, like you said, if not the head kick, something else. Right? I mean, it's hard to break those habits you've been doing, you've been doing for so many years. So and it's something as simple as just a pair. Like everybody does that. Everybody, everybody pairs like that. But the way that kick was coming right behind that left hand was just so fast. And I, I think he would have knocked anybody out with that head kick. So he could definitely pull it off again, 100 percent Yeah, I look forward to it. It's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be an interesting time. And listen, you know, I saw an interview with you a few weeks ago, maybe it was a couple months ago. Somebody asked you about like, you know, so have you thought about retirement? And I thought it was a really funny question because I'm like, well, you're still a top 10 fighter in the world. You actually started your fighting career a little later in terms of MMA. You were kind of a little bit in that like DC thing where you didn't start MMA until you know, a little later. You weren't doing it at 20. You know what I mean? You, were, you haven't been doing MMA yes. for, for 19 years. And I thought it was a funny question because I'm like, yeah, you had a couple losses, but you lost to the number two ranked guy in the world and now the number five ranked guy in the world, uh, you know, in terms of like the, where the rankings are. And neither fight was a terrible loss. And it's like, you go out there and beat head Kevin Holland on December 3rd, you're right back in the mix of things. There's still some really fun matchups out there for you at welterweight uh, to get you right back in the mix. Like, I don't talk about retirement. I talk about what's it going to take to get back in the title hunt because I imagine that's where you want to go. Yes, always. If I'm fighting, I'm, I'm looking for the title. And I know there's a slew of high-level wrestlers in that top, in, in the welterweight division, especially in the top 10. So, you know, for this camp and every camp on, I'm, I'm still trying to improve the wrestling and get better at it. You know, coming fairly later in the game and mostly my career doing striking, playing catch up with the wrestling and jiu-jitsu, um, you know, I, it's kind of like my number one priority at this point, especially after losing those last two guys by wrestling and not just, you know, guys just holding me there. Guys win that way. So I got to be able to 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 nullify those guys and to be able to, you know, uh, not let that happen. So my wrestling, I like to, today, we just got done wrestling today. So it's, um, you know, working with my buddy, Chris Wyman, going out there, working with him. I have my buddy Gino, who's an All-American at, at Penn State. My buddy Joe, one of the top grapplers in the country right now, heavyweight, has been helping me out, you know, relentlessly. So, um, yeah, man, I, I'm still going for the title. I'm not giving up on it. So uh, I feel good. I mean, I'm 39. I'll be 40 in February. And uh, I feel like I still got more in me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you ever, listen, you got a great team around you down in South Carolina. I've talked to Chris many times now that he's relocated his whole family down there. You guys have built quite a camp down there, quite a team down there. You ever get out here to Ohio, the Matt Brown, I know you guys fought years ago, but Matt Brown has a gym out here. And one of the coaches is the hammer himself, Mark Coleman. So you ever need some wrestling, yes. come out here to Ohio, get some wrestling in with a hammer. You got it, brother. I appreciate <laughs> the invite. We'll have to make that happen for sure. Absolutely. Real quick before I get you out of here, Stephen, one other thing I want to talk to you about. Uh, recently, beyond your own fight career, you also dabbled a little bit in the acting side, and you made an appearance in season five of Cobra Kai. Now, when everyone talks about Cobra, I love Cobra Kai, by the way. I love Karate Kid. I grew up on the Karate Kid. That was one of the things that made me fall in love with martial arts when I was a kid, was watching the Karate Kid. So I loved those movies. I loved the show. When I saw the promo drop and I saw you and Woodley there, I was like, oh no, awesome, that's so cool. And if anyone's going to be in the Karate Kid, it's got to be the Karate Kid himself, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. So how did that come along and did you have fun doing it? 
Oh man, I had a great time doing it. And everybody keeps kept hitting me up. You'll be in Cobra Kai. You'll be in Cobra Kai. And I know one of the stuntmen, um, uh, I guess choreographers out there, a buddy of mine that I've known for years. And they were filming in Atlanta, which is only two hours away. Um, wanted me out that I was going to be one of the main senseis, main bad guys of season five, well, along with Tyron. Um, but of course, I had the fight with Bilal coming up, and then one of my main fight scenes, I told them where my fight was, and they said everything was going to be uh, going to be filmed before that. But my main fight scene actually ended up being the week of fight of fight week, so I wasn't able to be in the. And and I have a bigger role in season five. So they kept me in as a cameo a little bit, you know, showed my face in a, in a few spots, but they wanted me back in season six. So we'll see. Oh, um, nice. It was a lot. Yeah. So hopefully I have a bigger part and was, we'll be able to make it out there and be in season, season six and have a bigger part. So the acting thing is something that I've, I've actually wanted to kind of dabble in for years. So it was, a, it was pretty cool to be a part. And not only that, meet some of my childhood heroes. I was a huge fan of the Karate Kid and to be able to be out there with those guys and be able to chat with them and they're big MMA fans as well. Um, it was just really cool. It was epic. It was an epic situation that ended up just kind of falling into my lap. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, Tyre. I talked to Tyron a few weeks ago about it and he, you could see like, he was so excited. He had such a good time. Like, he got the Cobra Kai tattoo on his arm. Like he was loving yeah, it. Dude. Uh, yeah, so it was so <laughs> awesome. But like I said, if you're going to think about the Karate Kid, you got to get the Karate Kid in there and you are the Karate Kid of MMA. So it kind of made sense you would be in there. And it's kind of, that, that show is so much fun. And like I said, that was one, when I was a kid, like that and that, watching that and Bloodsport were the two movies that like got me interested in martial arts. And then, it was the Uf, then it was the UFC. Then I was like, I was all in. Bloodsport, man, that was my jam, man. John Claude, oh, he was one of my, <clears throat> in those days, one of my all-time favorite martial arts guys. I mean, with uh, was it Lionheart? He was a Lionheart, Double Impact, The Quest, Kickboxer. Like I, I saw, I saw them all. Yeah. So yeah, I used to love it. I loved it. Now you you have one of the most iconic walkout songs in UFC history. We all know that, of course, with Tenacious D, Wonder Boy. It's like it's like they wrote it for you. We all know that, but <laughs> listen. If, if, if Cobra Kai season six works out and it sounds like hopefully it will, I know it's been done. I think once in the UFC, Luke Rockhold did it when he fought Leota Machidi, he walked out the, you're the best around the song from the karate kid. You know what I'm talking about? The yes, one from the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He walked out, he walked out to it when he fought Leota Machidi because I was at that fight. Uh, is there a chance, any chance that you would ever consider using that as a walkout song? I know it would be like, you know, people would freak out if you didn't use the Wonder Boy song, but like, I feel like if you do Cobra Kai season six, Come on. I think you'd have to walk out of that song. It's funny you mentioned, uh, you know, Tenacious D a few months back. He invited me out to his concert and I got to walk out. He he invited me out on stage, got to meet out with him and um, KG, Kyle Gass. <clears throat> and while he sang Wonderboy, he, he brought me out on stage, got a little bit, of, got to do a little bit of shadow boxing, a flipperoo, and got to wave to the crowd and walk off. It was epic, man. It was so cool to meet, meet those guys and hang out with Jack Black and and uh kg so that was that was i had to throw that out there let y'all know that happened he wants to come to my fight so i know he's on tour right now not sure if he'll be able to make it to this one but he'll definitely make it one out uh out to one of my fights for sure yeah the U <clears throat> i i saw I, I swear the ufc blew the ufc does a lot of great things they blew it with this one i said when you fought uh tyron woodley in madison square garden i was at that fight and i said they should have had 
Tenacious D perform live to walk you out. Like I said, that should have happened because they did it that one time with Connor's fight when they yeah. had him and uh, Chad Mendez. They had the, I was like, dude, you got you because well, it's only two guys, so it wasn't like they have to have like, this huge band or anything. But I was like, how could you not have Tenacious D walk out with Wonder Boy? Like that would be so cool, dude. That would have been awesome. And he had mentioned that he's like, I would love to do that, but if not, I would love to just be there at the fight. So it's funny because when I when I first met him, he was in his he was in his room. And as right before I grabbed the, the the doorknob to open it up, he was playing Wonder Boy on the other side of the door and his guitar. It was just it was perfect timing. But he is just like you like you see him in the movie. He's that way in real life. He's just the funniest guy. So laid back. And it would be awesome to have him sing that song live to one of the fights. Main event. Come on now. That would yeah. be, be sick. Let me, let me pitch you an idea since you know Jack Black now send him this message what about because we hear a lot of like when you do main events they do a lot of the like one song into another you know they start with one song and they fade another like Max Holloway's done that with like he'll start with like a big rap song and he'll go into his Hawaiian kickboxer song that everyone knows yeah what about what about getting Tenacious D to do a cover of you're the best around and then fade right into Wonder Boy into Wonder Boy that is it right there put the karate with the Wonder Boy musician jack black and kg singing like you can't it can't get any better than that right so yep. can't get any better than that yep. i'm with you on it dude i'm just saying i love it i love it uh <laughs> steven it is always a pleasure to catch up with you my friend you know i appreciate the time have a great training camp uh be safe out there and cannot wait to see you back in action on december 3rd thanks brother always a pleasure damien you the man brother see you soon we'll talk soon you got it brother bye-bye bye Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.